This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are in business radio and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. Hey, if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, you can call us throughout the hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And we're live and I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives right here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter, and we have Michelle and Danielle in-house. Woohoo! And today is a very special episode of Career Talk because my book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success, is now on bookshelves, and I'm very excited about that because it is it is all of the great advice we offer on the show through my blogs, and I've put it together in a step-by-step process so that if you're looking to make a career switch, you are empowered to do it through this book. So very excited about that. And today's show is going to be a topsy-turvy episode of Career Talk because what we're going to do is we're going to have me be the person who's interviewed. And to do that, we welcome back the man, the legend, Nick Corkadelius of Ask the Headhunter fame. Nick's the author of several books, including Fearless Job Hunting and the number one selling interview guide, Ask the Headhunter. He's been featured everywhere. The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, The New York Times, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, just to name a few. And we're very excited to have him in studio today. Welcome back, Nick. Thank you. It's great to be here again. Yeah. Congratulations well, on this thank great you. birth of a book. And I have to thank you because you've been so supportive along the way. You were one of my early readers and you've you've been so encouraging about how to, to deal with publishing houses and, and this process that is more monumental, I think, than you can even realize when you start to write a book. You think the writing is going to be the hardest part, but it's actually everything that comes <laughs> after that. That it just gets harder. Indeed. Before we we get into the interview, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported me along the way for this book. Um, It is certainly a task that cannot be done alone, and all of the callers and listeners and followers on Twitter and everybody who has been asking me questions and bringing me career scenarios and encouraging me along the way, I really appreciate it. Bye. Thank you, Danielle. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So we will just dive in one last time. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Nick Corkadelius of Ask the Headhunter fame. I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, I want to say two things. Uh, First, I want to say congratulations and reiterate what I just said. Giving birth to a book is a huge, painful experience. So congratulations. Thank you. Second, I want to say that although I've been publishing and been online for over 20 years, I can count the number of other career books I have written about and endorsed on half a hand. I've known you for a long time, Dawn, and what stunned me was the insights in the book. And so I'm not here talking with you and about the book because we're friends. I'm here because I think what you have to say to job seekers is pretty earth-shattering and myth-busting. So... What I want to, the first question I want to ask you is, uh, and I try to think like 
like your readers will be thinking, mm-hmm. like the job seekers we both coach and try to advise intelligently are thinking. The book is called Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success. When we talk about switching, uh, most people think in terms of job switching. Yes. What's the difference between switching, changing jobs and switching, changing careers? Mm-hmm. So you're right. So the traditional idea we get in our head is that I, I work in a company, say I do retail marketing in Walmart, and I want to do that at, at Target. And these are the kinds of changes that people have done all through the years. And you know, the job search is a stressful process. But what about if you want to switch? And when I say switch, what I mean by that, what if you want to change industry? So you're doing a function and you want to move into a completely different industry. So say retail to pharma, you know, that's, that's, moderately difficult because you're going to get questioned on that industry experience that you don't have. But then we, we've we moved into a market where people have the opportunity to make bigger changes than that. We have the gig economy, side hustles, portfolio careers. We have the average number of years in a job at 4.2. And so people are moving around, no longer retiring from the companies. And you know this, Nick, that if you stay with a company for too long, now now you're biased for that purpose because companies wonder if you're agile. So we have all these opportunities out there and people realize that, hey, I can do a job that's more satisfying than what I'm doing. Or maybe I got on a ladder early on that seemed like a good fit, but because where I am now 15, 20 years down the road in my life, that I want to do something different and not just different company or not even just different industry, but different function. So I've been doing doing HR and I really want to do data analytics or I've been a lawyer and that seemed like a good career choice at the time. But now I want to to go and move into something completely different like finance. And so that's a functional switch. And then some people want to make a double switch. And the book talks about a double switch as changing both industry and function. So I just want to kind of wipe the slate clean and do something completely different. And the the great thing is, is the world um, is open to this, Nick, but what is not the case is the hiring process hasn't shifted to be open to switchers. So when you are a non-traditional candidate trying to get a job as a switcher in a traditional hiring system, you end up hitting a wall. And that's what this book is for, those people who are hitting the wall. So, so when people want to switch careers, what you're saying is there are different levels of making a switch. Yes. So if I'm a career... I'm a whatever. I'm a marketing manager in a pharmaceutical company, and I want to make a change. I, I had somebody come to me recently who was a medical doctor who wanted to become an investment banker, or he wanted to work in a venture firm. So there are different kinds of switches. Mm-hmm. Are, are, are some kinds of switches easier done than others, and, and why? Yeah, so if you're if you're looking to make an industry switch, that's probably the easiest simply because you have the functional knowledge and learning the new industry is is going to be easier than learning a completely new function. When you're looking to make a functional switch, so maybe you're staying in pharma and making a functional switch from say being a lawyer to going into HR, people are going to question, hiring managers are going to question, well, Okay, you have the industry knowledge, and that's helpful, but how do you even know how to function in this this new role? And then if you're trying to do both at the same time, a hiring manager is really going to be scratching their head because they're going to say, wait, this is not the resume that I have expected to see in front of me, Um, so you're going to really have to justify why I should roll the dice on you and take a risk. So in the book, in in the section, Keep the Ball in Your Court, you say something that really kind of floored me, and I started laughing. You said that uh, 
job switchers are, are um, they're they're uh, fettered by by um, these are these are expression. There's an expression that's uttered by job switchers and by politicians alike, mm-hmm. which I think is true, and that's that it's not fair. It's not. It's fair. not fair. It's and not and fair. I think both of us have encountered a lot of people, maybe more up at the higher levels in management, who, like this fellow I mentioned, who was a medical doctor who wanted to become a, a venture capitalist or an investment banker, the reaction is, I've done all these things that I need to do to switch careers. And it's not fair. They're not letting me in the door. Mm-hmm. So, so what's not fair about it, or is it really unfair, or what's really going on? What do you say to this person who complains to you? It's not fair that I can't get in the door to change my career. Yeah. So I have a whole chapter on this actually, and and that's how important I think it is because here's here's one of the reasons. The, the biggest reason I wrote this book is to be for job seekers to be empowered. What I what I hate to hear from clients or students or others who are looking to make a switch is I feel stuck. I feel like I have this this drive and this passion and these skills and I want to make the switch but nobody's even opening the door to look at me. And there's a reason for that. There's loss aversion which is a psychological principle that, that we all experience and loss, loss aversion is essentially when we wait things that are, are, are negative more than things that are positive. So just as a an example of that, if you lose $20, you're going to be really mad about that for, for probably a number of weeks because you're like, where'd that $20 go? But if you find $20 on the sidewalk, you'll be happy for you know a short period of time, but it probably won't stick with you. And so if you think about how that applies to the job search, I mean, hiring managers, here's a secret. They don't like the hiring process any more than you do as a job <laughs> seeker. I mean, it's true. They have a day job. It's not hiring. It's not interviewing. It's not reading resumes. And they have an open role, which means they're taking on more work than they want to be doing. So they want the hiring process to end just as much as you do. So, you know, they're ready to be done with it. But they tend to hire the safe candidate, which tends to be the traditional candidate, because they you know they don't want to take a risk that loss aversion is very strong they don't want to ruin their reputation they don't want to have to hire somebody new in 6 months so it's like you know I'd rather have an average safe traditional candidate than having somebody who might be a risk and so you're right that's not fair nick and you know what else is not fair it's not fair they hire the younger candidate the older candidate it's not fair that the person with with more tenure got laid off and, and the newer person didn't. There's so many things in the job search that really aren't fair. And what I find is that when people are switching careers, they they put their time into all of these traditional processes and they get frustrated and they get, you know, rejected and they feel, wow, I guess I'm really not good enough to do this. And and ninety percent of the cases that's not it. What's it is that you can't get in front of the decision makers and make a good enough case. And what I don't want people doing is wasting their time on some of these things that just don't work. And, and chasing fairness, as I call it, and trying to make the system fair, um, and then not having that energy left to really go after what they want. And here's the here's the other thing that you know about it's not fair. Guess what? When you get hired as a switcher, somebody's going to say, "Well, that's not fair. I actually had the <laughs> traditional background, and you got hired." So, so it's an interesting concept, and I think it's it's you know outside the job search is something you have to look at you know, across your life. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk. And we are here with Nick Corcadelius of Ask the Headhunter fame. And we are doing Topsy Turvy 
Career Talk today on Sirius XM Channel 111, where I'm getting interviewed on my new book, Switchers. And we're also going to do that with the pre-break quiz, which is going to be very fun. So if you're just tuning in, we, of course, are live if it's Thursday noon Eastern, taking your calls at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Back to you. One of the subtle uh, strengths, I think, of the book, and maybe I'm a little biased because of my own background, and you just touched on on several uh, psychological issues that that come into play in the job search process and the selection process and how managers think, the way they behave, the way they treat you. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, you you sprinkled the book with with a lot of psychology? And I think this is what's missing from a lot of of tomes about changing careers, about interviewing, and so on and so on. There's a lot of powerful psychology at play in this whole process, and it's not discussed, I think, primarily because most people in the career field have no idea what, 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 what these psychological phenomena and mechanisms are. Can you touch on a couple you, – you talked about bias, for example, mm-hmm. a little bit in, on, the, on the part of the hiring manager. What are a couple of uh, – I call them fun facts from the world of psychology mm-hmm. that, that people may be aware of, but they don't understand how they play into this whole process and how they might leverage these things to – take advantage of, of how the hiring process works, get a better chance of getting the kind of job that they want. Yes. And, you know, as a licensed psychologist, I thought this was missing. I thought the same thing. Like, this is what's missing because I went back to get a degree in psychology because what I realized is that the business world is all about psychology. Anywhere there's human interaction, it's about psychology. And the job search process has it everywhere. And there's a number of things I cover um, throughout the book that really helps job seekers, switchers in particular, get inside the mind of the person on the other side of the desk. Because I think when you can understand what's going on in that person's mind and how they're approaching the hiring process, you have a huge advantage as a switcher to change your strategy and into one that's going to make sense. So one of the things I talk about is is mindset, and that's woven throughout the book. But, you know, something I tell my students all the time is you have to think about this. The, the job search for a hiring manager starts out as a process of elimination, not selection. And that kind of blows their mind because what are you talking about? And I say, well, you know, they get 250 candidates applying online and they have to narrow that down to one or two they can only hire ones who in their mind they're looking to eliminate and if, and if you're thinking about it, if you're looking to eliminate you're looking for red flags so up oh, gap in your resume you're out up oh, you know you don't have the right titles because you're a switcher up oh, you're out and you've got to if you know that you can create a resume you can create a, a, a pitch you can create a brand and it goes the book goes through the step by step to combat that. But if you think it's about selection, you approach it in a different way. There's also, we talked about loss aversion a little bit a few minutes ago, so I won't go into that. But um, the other thing is emotions play into every decisions humans make. And there's there's lots of research out there that if that part of the brain that's, that is responsible for emotions is damaged, people can't even make a simple decision about dinner. But it's interesting because you know this, Nick, that companies are putting candidates through these assessments and, you know, all this, like, you know, we got to get all this data, all this data, all this data. But at the end of that search, that final decision is going to come down to emotions, no matter how scientific a company tries to make it, because a human is making that final decision. And when you start to know that, you can start to create a strategy around getting past things like confirmation bias, which, you know, really quickly is if you come in as a switcher, then that's how they're going to look for data about you. Oh, this person's a lawyer, but I'm looking for an HR person. So, you know, everything I do is going to confirm 
you're not a good fit for me. So what the book teaches you to do is to not lead off with titles, not lead off with, with things that create that bias, but rather to lead off with the value you add. And if you come in saying that, you know, I, I, um, I have a history of, of you know, uh, writing policy and, and creating situations where the company reduces risk around employee relations. I mean, okay, now you're starting to sound more like an HR person and less like a lawyer. But if you start out with lawyer, bam, you're not what I want. My my wall goes up and I don't even want to hear anything else you, you have to say. So these are the strategies that the book talks about. And these are good for all job seekers. I mean, honestly, I think all job seekers need to do this, but switchers it's super critical. I think what you're getting at is the idea of the job candidate breaking the interview. Because as you said, interviews tend to be highly structured. Managers are taught to be, quote unquote, fair by using the same process with everybody. And I often ask myself, if you want a really outstanding, off the chart, off the scale candidate, why would you treat them the way you treat everybody else? And yet that's what managers do. They tend to ask the same kinds of questions. They Mm -hmm. go through the same process. This is why the candidate gets nervous because it seems rote to them, because it is rote. And so they worry about, how am I going to come up with the right answer? What is the right answer? So so what do you say to a candidate who is a switcher, who realizes they're in a very structured interview that's really designed for a job switcher, not a career switcher, and you've got this, these rote questions coming at you? I think of it as breaking the interview and having the candidate somehow interject or take control in a polite way. What can a candidate do who's a switcher to break the interview and get the manager off this path that's almost almost spells doom for the poor switcher because the manager's looking for the easy hire, the, mm-hmm. the person who's going to fit all the criteria, and yet here's someone who doesn't have all the criteria. So, so what would you say to a candidate who asks, well, so what should I do to change this process to make it better for me? Yeah, and it's interesting because, as you know, Nick, if, if hiring isn't your primary job, if you're an accountant or whatever you do in the organization, maybe you hire two or three people a year, you're probably not trained to interview. So you think, well, I have this rote set of questions, and I'm going to ask everybody the same thing, and that makes me an objective interviewer. It makes them the top ten stupid interview questions. <laughs> they're, all, they're all the same. Yeah, and you know, and candidates come in, and they get these questions, and here's what I always say to um, my clients and my students. It is 100% your responsibility to go into that interview and leave on the table what you want them to know about you. 100%. And I know, again, that sounds unfair, which is why I had to put a whole chapter. I know it sounds unfair. But you, if you go in, again, knowing on the other side of the table, that person is probably not trained to interview. That person is probably following a script. And that script may not fit your background or may not fit your strengths. Like it, you have to know what you want to say. So it, it's kind of a little bit like a politician, although I know that's a negative connotation. But you have to have a message you want to leave, which is why it's so critical to prepare. And I think that's one thing that a lot of job seekers miss. They go in and they think, I can wing the interview because I know me. I'm the product. Who knows me better than me? But, you know, you have to get surgical. It's how you say it. And so, for example, for a career switcher, you can't go in saying, I'm, you know, I'm excited about switching my career and changing. I mean, because you're planting more of those risk seeds in the hiring manager. You have to go in and say, you know, this is a logical next step and I'm looking to broaden this and and really pick your language around that. So, I think that's the key to anybody who interviews, not just a switcher, is you really need to know what you you want to leave on the table. And just because somebody asks you a question in a certain way, you certainly can make sure you put certain things in your answer that you want to leave with. Let's talk a little bit about the cost of making a career switch. You You and I have both dealt with people who decide 
They want to make a major career switch, and they sit down and they ask themselves, okay, what's it going to take to do this? I'm currently earning $150,000 a year or $75,000 a year. I want to make the change. I may have to take a salary cut, but I really want to try to find a job in a new domain. I don't really want to give up any salary, so how do I go about doing that? And what I try to get across to them is you have to ask yourself, what is it worth to you to make the switch? What is the cost that you're incurring? And what are you willing to spend, either in terms of money, status, salary? What can you say about these costs that people need to be aware of when they're making a switch? Mm -hmm. I think it's really important even before you start taking those steps forward to think about these things because it really depends on your switch. How big of a switch are you making? Industry, functional, double switch. What are you moving into? What skills are you bringing with you? How strong are your connections? You really have to do an assessment. But here's the thing. I, I think I write in the book specifically, if you're not willing to lose, you're not ready to switch. And what I mean by that is that you know, loss aversion actually applies to us as job switchers too because any change you make and William Bridges has a whole model on this any change you make there will be things you lose things you gain and things that stay the same even positive changes so I think you need to fairly assess what those things are and the book talks about non-negotiables we have very few non-negotiables we have lots of ideals and we have lots of wants and we want this and we want a high salary we want to work from home three days a week and we want to commute down the block and you know all these great things and it's good to know those so that you can aim and get as close as you can. But we have very few non-negotiables, which are those things that absolutely can't change. So for example, maybe you're divorced and you can't relocate because you have joint custody of a child. That that might be an actual legit non-negotiable that you can't change. But most of us have very few of those. We like to pretend we do. I can't possibly live on less money. I can't possibly move to another city. I can't possibly. And we have all these reasons that we come up with. But I think, you know, there's a there's a checklist, an assessment in the book that really has you go through what are you willing to give up for this change? And the bigger the change, the more you might have to give up. And we're so tied in our identity to our careers that it's, it's, it's intertwined, especially here in the U.S. So it's hard, even if we're going to something that seems really exciting, when we start to think about what we're going to lose. And, and because of loss aversion, those things seem to be even bigger than they are. You, you've, you've got a list of 10 uh, career change. Uh, you, you call it the career change tolerance questionnaire. Yep. Which I think, if for no other reason, that's worth the price of entry to the book, <laughs> is being able to walk through these steps to ask yourself, what is your tolerance for making that kind of change? And I, what I tell people is you will almost always have to have to cut your salary in order to make change. And then the, the question they ask me is, well, how long is it going to take me to make it up? And obviously it varies, depends on the individual and the individual situation. When you see someone who's made a career switch and they've had to take a salary cut, a status, a title cut, how long does it take to get back? I mean, are they likely to? Do you see people who try to make the switch and never make it back up? Mm -hmm. So I have I have plenty of examples on both sides. I have examples of people who took a step back in salary and then two years later advanced beyond what they made before. And I have people who have taken a step back in salary and never looked back because they were so happy in their new role. And I think, yeah, compensation is always going to be important. People need it to live. But I think where we are today is that meaningful work, interesting work – is is really a balance to that and people are willing to sacrifice some things 
for that. I mean, time to go to your your kid's soccer game or maybe a job that doesn't require you to travel 80% of the time and never be at home. So I think we tend to put a lot of emphasis on money. And, you know, there's a lot of research out there that says once you get to a certain point, anything on top of that doesn't really make you any happier. And what we do know, though, is about regret. And there's a lot of data out there that says that, you know, sometimes we do stupid things and we tend to regret that for a week or two. But when we we don't go after our dreams, when we, we have that type of regret, things we didn't do, that lasts a lifetime. And those are the things you think about, yeah. you know, at the end of days. And so, you know, is this, can you make changes? Can you get rid of cable? Can you get a remake? Can you do all these things? You know, yeah, sounds terrible, but if maybe it's temporary. But I do think if you're not willing to lose, you're not ready to switch. So it's something I think you need to assess before you kind of dive in with both feet. Yeah, it's it, there's a price. There's a price. Uh, you alluded to something before. You were talking about we were talking about the unfairness of it all, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how rote and structured the interview process, the hiring process is, and how there are inherent biases. When 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 someone is is trying to switch careers, they're obviously trying to educate themselves about what the employer wants. They study the job description. They try to get a good idea. Maybe they talk to people in the field to do that kind of job. They want to be ready when they go in. And they have this idea of what the hiring manager wants. And then there's what the hiring manager really wants. And we've seen this again and again where the candidate is prepping for this you know, array of challenges that they're facing in order to get accepted into the position. And then they realize they haven't hit on the key things. Mm-hmm. So, so how can a candidate in a situation like that find out or figure or suss out what the hiring manager really wants from them? Yeah, and this is where I think switchers sometimes have an advantage because I think they do a lot more work to get to where they are and they do a lot more research and have a lot more conversations. So so they're inherently ga- gathering this data along the way either through their contacts or other research they're doing or even you know doing projects and things of that nature. But I mean I think this goes back to you have to go in with an idea of what your market and what your audience wants so that you know what skills to put forth. And, you know, an example I I love to use is that if you're selling, um, for example, a sports car and a family comes in, a young family comes in, and you start talking about its sound system and its speed, um, you know, and family's kind of looking at you, this is not the right car. But maybe it's also a very safe car. It's very reliable. It has... 18 airbags and, and you know it's it's got these other features all of those can exist in one vehicle but you need to know what your audience wants and so i think that's that kind of defines all of us as professionals we all have a lot of qualities and skills and abilities to bring to the table and sometimes it's hard to let go of those ones that are are marquee in your life but that's not what your new audience wants so you might say like i've had a candidate who was trying to go from the clinical side and pharma to the the business side and you know kept getting oh we don't you know clinical types don't do the business side it's not what we do but the problem was is that she kept pushing her phd but i have a phd and that's not (laughs) what they wanted you know and it wasn't until she started rebranding herself and showing them the qualities that she also had that they wanted that they actually opened the door to her so i think i think that that is so important that rebranding yourself and you're right you're going to get to the table and you might not know everything. Um, But this is where the interview is meant to be a discussion. This is meant to be, you you want to come asking intelligent questions. You want to say, you know, what are your priorities? What are your goals? And you want to know yourself well enough to be able to respond with examples and accomplishments about how your background 
can fulfill those goals. Well, th- that kind of gets to uh, what I think is an important myth that you break through in the book where you talk about education. Uh, people who are, are going to switch careers in a dramatic way kind of realize that they may need specific skills that they don't have. They want to go do something else that's radically different. So what kind of education do I need? So they take a look around and they say, oh, th- th- this seems to be the education program that certain schools are offering, and this is what I should go do, and I'm going to go invest this much money, this much time, this many years to get the academic credentials, and now I should be able to get the job. And when it doesn't work, then what you hear is, oh, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about education a bit. Um, I've seen it happen uh, at lower levels, for example, with a computer programmer who who becomes convinced he can't get he or she can't get a job because they, they don't code in certain languages, so they go get certified. They spend a year getting certified in a new language, only to find that it's having that certification doesn't get them anything because they don't have the more fundamental ideas and concepts and methodology behind software development. So the language itself doesn't make a difference. In other kinds of domains, when someone makes a, wants to make a dramatic shift, they might have no management experience. So they go, go get a management degree. What, can you, what kind of advice do you give people about making the leap to getting education? What kind of assumptions do they, you think they make and should they stop making? Mm-hmm. I think the reason that online job um, ads are so popular is because there's a structure to it. You feel like there's a job I applied, my resume sent. Like I'm, I'm, you know, there's a structure and and I'm gonna follow it and it's gonna work. And what we know is that that those those don't always work. And I say the same thing about education. I'm a big fan of education. I I think it's it's a great thing to do. I think it's great to build your skills in certain ways and build your contacts. But if you're a switcher, that can't be your first step. And you know, I had a candidate or a client rather come to me who had spent two years getting a degree in speech therapy only to realize in her internship phase that this is not at all the job she envisioned (laughs) in her head. And so by the time she came to me, she had two years worth of investment and loans and money and and two years of lost time. And and a lot of people do this. They think, oh, education is going to be the magic bullet. And I think in some ways it can help. It can help build your network, maybe your lingo. But the fact is experience will always trump education. So if you're thinking, if there's a certain field you're going into that requires it, then of course you're going to do it. But if if it doesn't, think hard before you make this your first step because it's a big investment. Is this what I want to do? Is this going to get me to where I want to go? Does this program that I'm applying to have actual internships or other applied types of experiences that are going to give me that actual experience that I can sell to a hiring manager? Because the fact is, if you if you go and you sit in a classroom for two years, you you hopefully will build your network and, and get some of the, the background foundation, but you're still going to have that hard job search at the end where people gonna are going to ask you, have you ever done this? And where have you done this? And where are your results? Education can be a great tool, but it's not enough. And if you make it your first step, you may get to the end of that two years yeah. and be very disillusioned. So in, in, in today's outsourced world, we know that everything gets outsourced to the point where it almost gets ridiculous. And it's why people are losing jobs. But managers seem to have this sense that they can pay to get anything done. You can hire a consultant. You can hire a team of people to handle a project in your company. You can outsource an entire operation overseas. Managers really have come to believe that you can buy anything you want to solve a problem in the business world. So it's very natural. You and I have both had this experience. Managers who want to change careers, anyone who wants to change careers, ask the question, who can help me do it? Who do I pay? Where do I sign up? How much is it going to cost? 
So there are career coaches out there. There are all kinds of coaches. People want to think that they don't have to do it on their own, which I don't think is really possible, but there is help to be had if you find it carefully. So the question for you is, Don, what kind of advice do you give someone who wants to switch careers who really feels they need help after they've read your book? Mm -hmm. So I think it's always good to have an objective person. And a lot of the things about loss aversion and all these things, you can get really caught up in an emotion. And um, and if you're looking to make a switch, uh, there's a there's a section in the book that talks about how to pick a career coach. And I do think it can be very helpful to work with somebody to help you make sure your brand is understandable. Make sure that you have practice interviewing at a, we talked about those surgical words earlier. Make sure you're, you're using the words that are going to be most um, acceptable by the hiring manager. Make sure that, that it, you're not missing things or, or promoting skills that are not going to be uh, the ones that the, the new audience wants because it's really difficult. I mean, the difficult part about switching careers is as exciting as it is, you are changing your professional identity. And that can be really hard to do without some objective feedback. And I think you can do it without that. But if you're not getting to where you want to be, I think it's great to have somebody step in and give you maybe what would be some pretty hard feedback about your strategy. So what's one tip you would offer a job switcher about how to pick a good coach? So in terms of how to pick a good coach, I think one of the things people do is, oh, let me look at all of their credentials and let me look at all of their, you know, um, LinkedIn recommendations and all that. And I think those are all really important to do. You want somebody who's credible and you want somebody who who does this. Um, A couple of things that I think are important, the world of career and job search changes so much. I feel like if you're doing this specifically for your job search, it's important to find somebody who... Um, not necessarily works in your field because that's that's you know, people would never make any money can't work in everything <laughs> but um, somebody who understands your type of search so if you're looking to make a switch somebody who has worked with people who have made switches uh, I think it's important that they focus on career coaching and not just all types of coaching executive coaching life coaching because career coaching especially the tactical piece can be very specific so a lot of recruiters for example like myself have switched over to the other side because you have that tactical side that you can really help people understand and get through. I think it's also important, um, you know, logistics-wise, that you find somebody who works with your schedule. A lot of people say that we only offer a four-month or six-month program, but maybe you're just struggling with the interview and you want to do a prep interview and you don't want to invest that. You know, it does take a little time to to get through things, but if you're not wanting to do six months, okay, so that's not going to work for you. Um, I, I also think obviously working within your budget. I mean, this is one where I've had a lot of career um, coaches say to me, you know, I'm, I'm out of work and I don't have a budget, but it's important to invest. Now, how much you invest, this is where it kind of gets crazy because, you know, your coach should be able to work with you to come up with a budget and a plan that works for you. What I would caution people to avoid are these companies who say, I'm going to do it all for you and you're going to pay me $10,000 and I'm going to get you in front of the decision makers and I'm going to write your resume and do all this stuff for you because nobody can guarantee that. And you're also selling yourself short because you should be partnering with somebody and doing the work because it's the work that you're doing that's going to get you in front of the interviewer and have the, the chops to be able to talk about what you want to talk about. So there's a there's a fine line between you know somebody coaching you and being a partner and then somebody saying right, they're going to do it right. for you and, and if, if I could add a bit to that yeah uh, pay as you go 
I, I'm, I, you, you mentioned these firms that will charge you ten, fifteen. I've seen people spend $25,000 with implied guarantees we're going to get you a job. It just doesn't work. I find the best solution if you're going to approach one of these firms or an individual, and I tend to prefer individuals rather than firms, is find someone who will work with you on a pay-as-you-go basis so that if they're not delivering, you have a way out. You have a stopgap measure where you're not going to keep spending money if you're is there are good coaches, and I think good coaches charge, if not by the hour, at least by the session. Yeah, and, and people can't – if they make a guarantee, run. <laughs> they can't guarantee a job. So, um, here, so here we are. I think we're terrifying people about how virtually impossible it is to successfully make a, make a career change when it's not. There, there are people who are successful at it. And uh, Can I comment on that? Sure, it's, sure. it's interesting to me because, um, you know, when you read this book, I think the first thing um, – you know, the first piece of feedback my mom gave me was, wow, that's a lot of work. I'm glad I'm retired. <laughs> um, you know, and it was it was interesting because obviously she's looking at it from a different perspective. But here's what I'll say. I'm not I'm not going to say this book is, is effortless. I'm not going to say making a career switch is effortless. Um, what I am going to say is it's possible. And I think if you're willing to do the work, and we're not talking about ridiculous amounts of work, but it, we are talking about really taking the time to know yourself. To, to brand yourself, to to practice interviewing, which any job seeker should be doing. Um, you talked earlier, Nick, about being the standout candidate. If you're, if you're doing the same things everybody else is, you're not standing out. If you want to make the process easy, if you want to pay someone to do it for you, guess what? If I'm a hiring manager, I don't want you. I don't want somebody who's going to pay someone else to do this type yeah, of work. Yeah. So you really have to think about where do you want to be and um, you know, here's a process for getting there. No, it's it's not it's not an overnight process. But few of the great things, if any of the great things, are effortless. We, we've talked about the cost of making a change like this, or, or any, whether it's a career change or a job change. What I try to get across to people is think about the salary that you expect to get or that you're earning now. So you're looking for a job that, for let's say, it's a hundred thousand dollars a year. The question to ask yourself is, are you about to put in $100,000 worth of work to get that job? If you're not willing to do that kind of work, then you really have no business going after the job. But if you're serious about it and you're willing to put in that kind of investment time and effort, then your odds of success, I think, are significant. People can do it. But forget about the marketing. You can't just post your profile on LinkedIn and zap out you know, 50 applications or fill out 50 application forms you need to do the work that's commensurate with the kind of salary and compensation you want to get. Mm-hmm. And my my kind of tagline is, if you don't invest, why should they? And this this kind of goes across multiple things. People say, oh, I want to pick your brain, which is like, ah, nails on a chalkboard for me. I hate that phrase. <laughs> you know, but, but you know, I, I ask them, and, and I'm sure this happens to you all the time as well, Nick. You know, have you read my blog? I've been blogging every single week for five years. And it's free. And it's free every week. I've, I've you know, I've written a book. I've been on YouTube stuff. I've been on, obviously, the radio for three years. Um, again, all this stuff, you know, it's, it's on iTunes and Google Play. And when somebody reaches out to me and, like they haven't done and haven't looked at anything, but they're like, I have all these questions. Well, you've not done any investment. And, you know, hiring is the same thing. If you've not done the work to really think about your skills and rebrand yourself and, and talk to people in the industry and get to know what the pain points are and do this, you know, when you sit in front of me as a switcher and you say to me, I'm really passionate about X, Y, Z, well, you know, hey, you know, passion is not action. 
and and passion is not commitment. I want to see action, and this—that's what this book teaches you to do. And I, I think too, maybe you know, maybe you—the whole process is going to make sense for you. But maybe you're a job seeker stuck in a certain part of the process. You can't get to the second interview. This book will still help you, and it will amp up your ability to get to the other side because it'll give you the tips of, of understanding what's going on, and that will enable you to change your strategy. So, I—I I don't know how to make it easy. I wish I could, if I could come up with that pill, I, I would, I would be a rich, rich woman. But. It's that level of honesty in the book that I think really makes it valuable. You're not pitching. What you're doing is offering solutions. Let's talk quickly about uh, success. So someone su- succeeds in getting a, a job offer. And on page 208, you say something that really made me jump out of my seat. You said why it's a bad idea to stop your job search efforts when you when you're just about to get a job offer. Mm-hmm. What that's a profound point. People get the offer. Oh, fantastic! I got the offer. I've solved my problem. I've succeeded. And what you're saying is, well, wait a minute. Why? Yes. And, and, you know, people even stop before that, Nick. They think, I had a great second interview. I see the offer coming. I'm, I'm imagining myself sitting in the, in the chair doing the work. Imagine my commute. I'm checking out all of the, like, the, the public transit, how I'm going to get there. I mean, and, and they haven't even gotten the offer. But, but here's the thing. You want to keep going until you are literally sitting in that chair. Um, because what, what we know is that, that lots of things can change between kind of feeling like you've got the offer, even getting the offer and, and sitting in that chair. And it's unfortunate, but um, you've put in all of this work and you're, you don't want to stop and say, all right, I'm not going to continue with my networking meetings. I'm not going to continue this because things fall through. And it's unfortunate that that happens, but it does. Or that second interview that was so great, you didn't know that they have an internal candidate that they've been planning to hire the whole time. And they had to put you through this gymnastics because of legal reasons, which is a process I think is horrible to do to any job seeker. But it happens all the time. So my advice is, you know, you had a great interview. You you have, you know, an initial offer. Keep going until you're sitting in that chair because you want to make sure that, that all of your effort, that momentum keeps going until you're, you're um, happily employed and getting a paycheck. And I think it's subtle, profound insights like that. And that kind of advice that makes your book, and I'm going to say the whole title, Career Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success. It's not easy, but having been in this business over 25 years, what I can say to your listeners is if they're switching careers or even changing jobs, they read this book and follow even 15% Mm -hmm. of the advice in it, it's going to change their lives. Wow. Thank you, Nick. That is a fantastic, fantastic pitch for the book and a, and a great way to wrap up the show. And, you know, to all of my listeners, to all of my, my followers on Twitter and social media, I mean, this book, this book is was a labor of love. It comes to you from a place of, um, you know, I, I got, I was with Arthur Anderson, you know, and the whole Enron thing happened. And I found myself feeling very stuck because 60,000 of my, my network were on the street too. I was in a company that, that, you know, didn't have the greatest reputation on paper. And I felt like, wow, my, you know, what do I have? And I never want anybody to feel that, that stuck 
forever. And that's why I stepped into the career coaching side. That's why I wrote this book. And that's the empowerment that I hope it gives to everybody who who takes the time to read it. So thank you, Nick. Thank you. This has been phenomenal. Not just Thank for, you for asking me to do yeah. this. I've been dreaming of being able to sit on the other side of this microphone. <laughs> well, if you're so many, so many times are you interviewing me, being able to ask you questions and hear you give your advice to your listeners. Well, it's been phenomenal, not just today, but the process along the way. Thank Thanks. you for all Thank of you your so support. Much. And, of course, to you, all of our listeners, um, we do this for you every week on SiriusXM Channel 111. You've been listening to Career Talk, and we will see you next time. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.